Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. Schindler and I are going to dive deep into a few different topics. We're going to start with Russell Westbrook and his signing with the Los Angeles Clippers. And from there, we're going to transition into X-Factor players in this upcoming NBA title race that are more on the role player side that could have an outsized impact on the actual title race itself. Non-superstars, not even really star players at this point, just guys that are role players that are going to be incredibly important to their teams as we go through this race. It's a Mark Schindler special. I just thought that like, there's nobody that you enjoy talking about more than players like this, Mark. That's so true. let's just let's just do it, man, right? Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. Uh, excited to dive into this. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, where do you want to start? Because there, there is a lot to dive into. I mean, I want to start first and foremost with the shirt you're wearing. I mean, That's my correct. Goodness. The GOAT, Sean Kemp, Slam, Cover T. Um, I uh, actually don't know if you know this. Everybody assumes I'm a Pacers fan, which, yes, I grew up uh, enjoying the Pacers. But I'm a Sonics fan, man. It, a, it, it allows me to fence it because that way I'm not biased over anything because uh, they don't <laughs> exist anymore. But, no, I have a, I have a Ray Allen jersey from the Sonics. I have – um, I have a GP jersey. Actually, I have two GP Sonics jerseys. Uh, debating getting a Richard Lewis jersey because God, Richard Lewis was so good. Um, I love the Sonics. Like very random. Every, they always get talked about for their offense. The defense they played during their, oh, uh, their really great years was sick. Like yeah, like Sam Perkins uh, was super mobile. Uh, Sean Kemp. Like I mean, they played SOS, so it well, was like a lot of Peyton, obviously too. I mean, Gary Peyton. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, but I just mean like the, everybody knows Gary Payton was an awesome defender, but like obviously <laughs> Nick Millen, like Hersey Hawkins was oh, her. Okay, Hersey Hawkins was sick. Speaking of role players who were really good, also an all star, but like Hersey Hawkins would like be so fun today. Like the greatest combo guard. Yeah. That was uh, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, Bradley Legend. I think he averaged what, like 32 points per game at Bradley or something like that. No, he's stunned. But, he's um, a joke. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. In other words, the Sonics are awesome. Uh, don't let Michael Jordan and uh, that bullshit propaganda th- documentary tell you otherwise. So, <laughs> <laughs> really fun piece of production. Not truthful. Um, watch the series. Here I am. I'm rocking rocking a Bombers hat because Essendon won their first preseason match yesterday. Rocking a Melbourne Vixens hoodie because we got the Team Girls Cup for netball coming up over here in Australia. So you got to love that. But I just get outdone by Schindler again. The the youths are killing me here. 
the youths. Yeah. <laughs> the gotta youths. stay on gotta, gotta keep you on your toes, man. <laughs> okay. So let's jump into this Russell Westbrook signing with the Los Angeles Clippers. I'll be honest with you. My immediate reaction was like, why in the world are the Clippers doing this? I do have some trepidations with it that I'm sure we'll talk about. But the more I think about it, the more I'm coming around to it potentially working and being really helpful for the Clippers. Let's I'll just I'll just start here. What was your take when you saw it? I was neutrally positive. Um, Like. I think your, your perpetual state, neutrally yeah, positive. Yeah. I mean, I think the way that I just try to look at it is this isn't a trade. This is them signing somebody on a vet minimum. So I think any of yeah. the automatic, this is a huge loss. I think that's just too much. Like um, it can, I mean, the, the, the way to put it in two ways for me, a, I get the similarities to the stats with John wall, but just in watching them this year, vastly different players in where they're yeah. at physically and what they can actually do on court. B, if you want to look at it as a similar situation, exactly. They can phase them out of the rotation if things don't work. But, you know, there's a whole lot to get to before there. I'm interested to see what this looks like. Um, What was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was worry and that this is not actually what the Clippers need. My initial reaction, I'm going to dive into why I've kind of adjusted a little bit more, but my initial reaction was this is an offense that tends to be very stagnant in the half court Mm -hmm. and tends to really struggle to move the ball. And Russell Westbrook is someone that can stagnate offenses. Unfortunately, he is someone that does like to dribble quite a bit. So I was worried a little bit about what that could look like in terms of their offense getting even more ball stoppery and even more ISO driven than what it is already, because this offense, it has not been very good this year. This is the team that, you know, they're fourth in the Western conference, but they are 19th in offensive rating, despite the fact that they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and often and shooting and floor spacing all around those guys, right? This offense should be drastically better, but the process is often very difficult. And I, typically do not associate Russell Westbrook with being a process driven player, right? I actually have quite liked what Terrence Mann has done as the point guard because he's completely unselfish. He's willing to get his teammates involved. Uh, He just moves the ball around the perimeter, right? But the more I thought about it, the more I actually kind of like it for the Clippers having considered more about what their actual needs are beyond just offensive stagnation. Uh, This is a very slow pace team, right? They are 25th in pace right now. Part of the idea of John Wall and part of the idea of what I think the players on the roster want is they want someone who can get up tempo. They want someone who can create fast break opportunities. I think that's why even beyond their relationship from having grown up in Los Angeles around the same time from having played with Oklahoma city together. I think that that's kind of what Paul George has been wanting from a skill set perspective throughout this season. It seems like from the point guard position, the thing that Russell Westbrook does that this team doesn't really do is he does still pressure the paint. Like he is capable of getting into the lane It's just what happens when that happens, right? With the 
Lakers, because they didn't have any floor spacing around him, there was just nobody to kick out, kick it out to. There was always a ton of bodies in the paint, right? With the Clippers, they actually have the floor spacing to where this could work. Like Kawhi and Paul George are guys you have to stay attached to. Norman Powell is a 40% three-point shooter. Uh, you know, Marcus Morris is a guy that teams stay attached to in the corner. Eric Gordon can really knock down shots. Terrence Mann, I don't know if teams necessarily stay attached to him, but he will hurt you if he's in the corner on a kickout, as we've seen throughout his career. Uh, Bones Highland can knock down shots. Nicholas Batum is a guy that's like a 38% three-point shooter. They have the shooting around him to make it work. In smaller lineups, the thing that they don't have is a floor-spacing center, unless you believe in Mason Plumlee's weirdo lefty mid-range shots now, which I don't think any opposing teams will consider as a concern. So I like the idea now of them being able to pressure the paint, and I like the idea of this roster fit around Russ a little bit more than what the Lakers fit was. And for a minimum, I think it's, I think it's okay. I, I guess is, I guess is what I've come around to. Like, I think this is a reasonable high upside swing that could work for them in, in a, a tangible way. Yeah, no, I think that's where I, uh, I approach it in the same light. Um, I, like you mentioned, I think uh, the whole idea is just, can he pressure the paint? Like, and this is to me a much better fit than what the Lakers were. They're not going to need the same uh, minutes volume. They're not going to need the same volume of just anything from him, which I think, you know, figuring out what that means between him and the team is going to be important. Uh, like there was, I don't want to say conflicting reporting, but like uh, in Woj's initial story um, basically had it that uh, there had been discussions between him and the team about having, you know, playing a very sp- specific certain role, uh, which automatically makes you think, okay, maybe there's a little bit, you know, to be pe- uh, optimistic about here. But then Law Murray from from the Athletic, who is of course tapped in with the Clippers, that's his job. He's fantastic at it. Um, reported that it was looking like it's potential that he'll start, and so I am yeah. interested to see what that dynamic looks like. I don't think I do. Just want to caution people. I don't think it's the end of the world for us starts. I think a lot of it's more. What does this look like with closing lineups? What does this look like with how they manage lineups in general? Because I do, uh, to be fair to Clippers fans, I haven't watched as many Clippers games as as every Clipper fan. Um, I do think that Ty Lue's uh, lineups have been frustrating at times this year, but also I just don't think that the roster's been as good as it's made out to be sometimes. Like this is a very – it's – it's different than the Raptors roster because they have Paul George and Kawhi, but it's a lot of the same light of we have a lot of guys who are versatile, but not really the guys to unlock that versatility. And I think the idea is, okay, well, maybe Russ can bring some of the things that Terrence Mann does, but maybe to, to an even higher level. Um, and that, as we've seen, like can help unlock some of what this team that's comprised of a lot of wings and guys who aren't going to create – their own easy looks like I think that there's credence to, okay, maybe we can get something out of that. Having somebody who can and will push the pace. um, I'm interested to see what that looks like. Uh, I really want to see what, like you mentioned, there's no real floor spacing big, but um, even when, uh, you know, like when you go back to to Russ's time in Washington, um, I mean, he and Daniel Gafford developed some good chemistry down the back end of that season when Washington really started to find their way. 
And I think him and Zoo, like Zoo's just a better big than, than Daniel Gafford right now on both ends of the court. And I think you can incredibly say, okay, well, yes, you want to be quote unquote five out, but I think that's not necessarily the best for us. I think having a guy who can be a really good yep. screener, who can open up things as a roller for him too, can be really good. Um, I, I mean, both I him and Plumley, by the way, like yeah, Plumley yeah, yeah, is also sure. a very good partner in dribble handoffs and in screening situations. He's a good roller. He's a really good passer from the high post. If you short roll him, there is a lot there. I, I think they have a lot there from a big perspective that will help Russ. Yeah. So I think for that, like I'm, I'm interested by that. Obviously you're going to have the, well, what if Russ is taking a bunch of pull-up twos? Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point, but at the same time too, a lot of guys on this roster are taking pull-up twos already. (laughs) Like I, and I'm not meaning to be demeaning. Like, I mean, there are guys on the roster who I, I, I'd rather see Paul George or Kawhi take a pull-up two. Like, of course, but I think a lot's just going to be, what is the push pull of what they get out of Russ compared to what they get when he's on the bench or when he's not playing. And, um, I think it's worth seeing. And to me, again, like I'd like to think that they're smart enough to know what they've gotten out of Terrence and this eats more into, you know, Bones Highlands minutes or um, or like Eric Gordon's minutes. Yeah. Like, I think that's what I'm looking at more instead of this is going to just deteriorate everything Terrence Mann's doing, because if that happens, then yeah, I'll be I'll be kind of concerned. But I need to see it yeah. happen in that way before I get you know too stressed about it. What do you think their best closing lineup is? Because that, that's what I've been trying to figure out. Is Russ a part of that closing lineup? Well, I think part of what's fun about this group is it depends. Um, I'm which so glad I think, you answered that way because yeah. that's going to be my answer. Well, that's part of what's – A, it's part of what's been so frustrating about this roster for three years, but also exciting because, like, the ability for them to kind of match up how they want against anybody is exciting. But I think, again, part of why I'm interested to see if Russ can unlock some stuff for them is – that helps them actually make it harder for teams to have to match up with them. Cause it feels so often like yeah. teams don't necessarily get dictated by the lineups the Clippers put out. Um, obviously in the playoffs it's happened, but I think like this year and watch them and a lot of times during the regular season, it's just kind of like, well, we're pretty comfortable. Just if we can just switch everything against you and force you into somewhat tough stuff, we don't care. Like, again, that matters more in the playoffs when, when things are a little bit different, but point being like, I think, the idea here is Russ is going to be comfortable in knowing that, or hopefully that he might not be part of every lineup. He might not be part of the the, the closing yeah. lineups. Cause I think there are going to be games where it's probably not for the best from be out there. Like maybe there are games where it's better to run a pretty big lineup with like, I don't think that you really want PG or Kawhi at the one, but you get, get what I'm saying. Like just going like, okay, yeah. maybe you have like Morris, Leonard, George, Eric Gordon, and, and, you know, Nick Batum out there or something like that. Like it's not perfect, yeah. but I think, Again, like there are ways to to look at it where I think that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. where I'm at is I I don't want Zubots and Russ to close together. I would like one of the two, and I think it would be dependent on the opposing team's lineup and construction. Like if they're playing Denver in a second round playoff series, right? I would like to see a situation where it's Terrence Mann, Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Zubots, or replace Marcus Morris with Batum, replace Marcus Morris with Eric Gordon, replace, you know, Terrence Mann with Norman Powell, whatever you want to do, right? Part of what has made this roster so interesting over the years is how multiple they have potential to be in terms of the way they can match up with teams in the playoffs, right? They can go big or they can go small. 
this gives them, if it works out, more flexibility offensively to make the smaller lineups work in terms of getting dribble penetration. I don't know that it necessarily helps the bigger lineups work, which I think is often where their offense can stagnate a little bit. It is possible, I guess, that maybe Russ can drive play to the point where playing small does become a real marginal advantage for them. I'm a little bit skeptical of that, but it's not impossible as an outcome at the very least that like they just play small around Russ, Kawhi and Paul George, you know, get actual marginal advantages created for them because teams have to collapse down on Russ uh, driving into the paint because there's actual floor spacing. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's not impossible that this works out really well. And honestly, I'm rooting for this to work out well. As people know, this has been like a Russ-friendly podcast, I think, right? I have been a fan of Russell Westbrook for a long time. I get that he can be a bit prickly. I get that, like, he can be whoever. I also know that, you know, Russ is someone where it's just reported by someone that asks, you know, ushers and people around the team who the best tippers are. It's Russell Westbrook. Like he does an incredible amount in the community. People are complicated. People are very, uh, very, very complicated individuals in often, in many cases. And I think Russell Westbrook is one of those people. And I think people often deride him unfairly in some way and put a lot of attention on him when he has been a very clear hall of famer top 75 player of all time former mvp everything like that and while he has not aged gracefully necessarily over the last two years i want to see him in a different situation and i frankly will be rooting for this situation to work well because it would be a very cool story if russell westbrook goes to the other los angeles team joins his friend paul george to team up in the city where they grew up and leads the Clippers to an NBA title. That's like the coolest possible story, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. And I just, just to go off that too, like I, uh, and not to go too long-winded on this, because I just think most of the time it's not worth giving a lot of the negative stuff credibility, but I have been really frustrated with how people have talked about Russ in general. Like I get it to a degree, like watching him can be frustrating, but same time, like separate player in person, get over yourself. I don't really care. Um, I can't really care if he gets prickly with media, like exactly like you mentioned, he's so well documented and without his, like, it's not like him documenting himself. Like it's very clear, like this dude is a good dude off the court as, as, you know, as far as standards go for what it is to be a professional athlete. And I, I just can't be bothered that he's having a rough season and you wanted to ride him for that. Like get over it. Like he's exactly like you said, he's a clear hall of famer. He's an MVP. You can dispute it all you want, but it, I mean, I think way too way too easily people forget how good he was in OKC. And Unreal. as a very fun throwback, because a friend of mine pointed this out to me, you want to know how many years ago it was that he and Paul George were playing together? It's probably five It's been five years, years since they yeah. last played together, which is makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, I mean, two years in L.A. and then two years in Washington and a year in Houston, right? Not even. It was one year in Washington. That was it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, crazy. yeah, I mean, it, it's been a while. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I Whatever this turns out, and it could turn out very poorly. Like if Russ takes possessions from Paul George and Kawhi, 
that won't go well and they might have to bench him. And it seemed like things didn't go well with the Lakers when that happened, but I hope it goes well. I hope that they figure this out. Cause I think it'd be a really cool story. I, I don't know that I'm, I, I guess I am kind of getting my hopes up by explaining why I think this could work, but I also am realistic about the fact that this, this is probably Russ's last chance to really be a difference maker in the NBA. And there's a chance that he's just not that anymore. But we'll see. I, I think it's a sensible signing from the Clippers. I've come around to it potentially working. Let's take a quick commercial break. Then we're going to get into role player X factors that I think can make a real impact in the NBA playoffs and NBA title race. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Okay, Mark, we're back. I'm going to give you the floor. Who is your player that you want to talk about first? That is an X-Factor role player that you think could make a real impact in the 2023 NBA playoffs and 2023 NBA title race. 
I'm almost going to say less that it's can, and I think it's more has to um, if they really want to be a factor, and it's Kyle Lowry. Um, I think as good as Miami was in the playoffs last year, like, I mean, again, I don't want to say people forget, but, like, this team was literally almost in the finals. They were one shot away from going to the finals. It's obviously not that simple, but um, Kyle was horrible in the playoffs last year, just point blank period. Like, he shot less than 30% from the field. He got targeted on defense. I don't expect that to just go away, but he's had a pretty up and down year. He struggled with injury. Obviously, you know, he's supposed to come back from injury soon. At least my fantasy team certainly hopes so. Um, but I, I think – I don't think that this is it for Kyle. Like, I think that there is still more that can happen. But I know it was reported, I believe it was Barry Jackson, Miami Herald, um, who reported that there were some some talks about what Kyle's role is going to look like moving forward. You know, potentially Gabe Vincent is taking over as a starter or like the days of Kyle playing 30 minutes per game are just kind of over. Um, I'm interested to see what that looks like when he gets back, because he should be back relatively soon after the all-star break, um, which obviously is very, very close for us. But um, with what this team is, with the moves that they made, I know you and I both just talked about the Kevin Love move and why we like it. Um, you know, what does Victor Oladipo look like? We've talked about him a ton on this pod. Um, but I think, again, it all comes back to Kyle. Like, can he be that guy who can ratchet them up in the half court with his ability to just make good things happen with the ball? Is the shot going to be there for him? You know, what does he have? Because I think if you have a limited version of Kyle Lowry instead of – you're obviously not getting Pete Kyle Lowry at age 36. I'm not trying to be overly harsh. But, like, if you are getting this version of Kyle Lowry in the playoffs, I struggle to see a scenario where they win more than one series or even win a series. I think it's going to be tough. Um, yeah. But if they get – you know, what Kyle Lowry was even two years ago or just for stretches of last season when he was playing at a really high level. Um, I feel a lot better about their chances to actually do something in the postseason. Okay, so you believe that they do need Lowry in some regard. For sure. I don't like I like Gabe Vincent, but I don't think that he's at that level yet. I think I, I will state this as well. And the, part of this is my love for Team Nigeria. Team Nigeria, first of all, Team Nigeria is like the greatest national team to watch. It's just all great vibes and a ton of dudes who can dunk. Uh, so I appreciate that because that's I – mean, I mean, Mike Brown's there too. So, like, how can you go wrong? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I have tons of Gabe Vincent eventual starting point guard in the NBA stock. Uh, it would be sick if it happened right now. I'm probably not there yet. Like, I think the, the shot making everything is cool. I think his ability to get in – and create routine paint touches isn't there yet. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of hinders the offense a little bit. It makes them a, a one in an offense pretty often, considering how much their offense comes out of, um, out of that kind of shot making. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say, yes, I, I do think Kyle needs to, to be playing at a higher level for them to, to go farther in the playoffs. So what do we think is realistic about this for Kyle? I guess like, do we think that he just needs to be able to make spot threes and be able to defend at a reasonable level? Cause I don't know that it's realistic to assume that he can like get consistent paint touches at this point. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's fair. So, so what's realistic that we can project for Kyle that could happen, that could of what he could look like if this goes well for them in the playoffs. Yeah. I think pushing the pace, shooting above the average on threes and um, you know, getting, 
like like you mentioned, I think not being a massive target on defense. Part of that, like that's obviously team stuff. It's not just him, but the I mean, his legs just have not been under him at all this year on his shot from anywhere. Um, I, I do think like they need his pull up equity a little bit from deep too, because I think that's where you get some of the transition stuff out of him. Um, but I, I mean, I think that's reasonable because I'm never expecting him to be somebody who's going to get into the paint all the time again. Um, but I do think like if he's at least shooting better. That would, uh, I mean, that's been, that's uh, killed their offense at times this year. Yeah, I agree. So I pulled up his synergy profile while you were talking. And if you look at his catch and shoots right now, he is making 32.8 of his catch and shoot three pointers this season. Uh, that's on almost 200 attempts. Uh, he's only making 36.4 of his unguarded catch and shoot three point attempts, which is, it's just not it's not good enough for what they need like they desperately need his spacing and they desperately need a guy that can play on both ends of the court in certain lineups at the very least because they need a second option in case Tyler Hero gets played off the court right that's the biggest thing for them like if Tyler Hero becomes too much of a a defensive liability which i don't know like th- this is a great question too like where are we on Tyler Hero and his ability to stay on the court in the NBA playoffs because it worked really well in the bubble and he was great within a specific role. That role was more of a bench player, but now that he's in more of a primary role, I do think it's been a little bit more of a mixed bag and I don't think Hero played nearly as well last year in the playoffs. So we have like two very different potential outcomes here for Hero. Where do you stand on his impact here, because I think his impact is directly correlated to the Lowry piece of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I felt good about Tyler this year. Um, I think the the defensive lapses are loud when they happen. I don't think that he's been yeah. a total sieve compared to what the, what it's been before. Um, yeah. So I think that's mattered, but like the, I do just struggle sometimes. Like I think it's been better lately, but I think a lot of the season, I felt more like as good as he is as a shot maker for how much of the offense he carries. Um, it doesn't feel great how little he's creating for others. Um, mm. Like it's kind of, and I don't mean this to sound unfair, but it's a lot of how I felt about Devin Booker early on in his career. And not just to like, I know those two are always going to be linked, but it's that same idea of a guy who's an incredible shot maker, but like I've never really felt great about his blend of getting into the paint and creating stuff. Cause I think he's capable of doing it. It's just, he likes to pull up. Um, he likes to to get into his stuff from 16 to, 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 to 10. And um, I think the heat, frankly, any different. Cause I know what Jimmy's stats are. It just has not been the same Jimmy season for me. Like he's been, yeah. he's been very, very good. I think Bam's been clearly the best player, which I don't mean that like that's in a good way. He's taken a lot of steps forward, but um, in terms of the kind of offense driving, I don't think it's been the same from Jimmy. Um, I think part of that, maybe that's been a concern, like just holding himself back a little bit until later yeah. in the season, which understandably, cause he, I don't know if anybody's gotten beat up in the more in the paint than Jimmy Butler over the last two years combined, but, yeah. um, exactly like you mentioned, I think Tyler being at what you want to call his peak is going to be really essential for what this team does in the playoffs. Yeah, so it's interesting just insofar as like, I almost like Tyler more as an Tyler's idea more as an off ball scorer, right? 
that that would be my dream. But then you look at like the three point numbers. He's only taken 16 three pointers this year off of screening actions, according to synergy, which is just like a crazy low number for someone that should theoretically be like a real movement shooter. And then on top of it, like off of those dribble handoffs that they love to run, he's currently 17 for 54, which is 31.5% from three off of handoffs. And like, I feel like this offense could really benefit from movement, from some sort of activity, particularly from Tyler Hero. It's what they got from Duncan Robinson all those years where Duncan could at least manage it defensively for a couple of years. And now it seems like he just kind of can't, but that motion, that movement, it feels like this offense stagnates a little bit too often, unfortunately. And I think that Tyler being able to play a little bit more off the ball might help Kyle a little bit play on the ball. So it's complicated. Like it, it, it's really, really hard. Like I want, but then I wonder like, we just said that Kyle Lowry can't really catch and shoot. And then on top of it, he struggles, you know, to get penetration. It it might just be that it might be that you're right. That Kyle just needs to sit and have like a more limited role at some point, but they might not have the depth to be able to do that. This is a hard one. This is a really, really hard one. It might be something that eventually kind of tanks them a little bit. Well, I mean, I think it could be something as simple too as like their role players are shooting better. Like uh, Max Struess has had such a weird year. Like he started off really yeah, hot, has. and it's been not good for him lately. I think you know they just have a lot of role players who've been kind of overtaxed. If we're being honest, like I think I love Caleb Martin, and I think part of what's tough is that um, like obviously he, I, I like I don't think he should be a starter. I think that's that's true, but also like he has made real strides. Like he's gotten better as a defender. Yeah. I think the shooting's gotten better, so you can feel good about that. But also, it's like yeah, ideally this dude is not a starting forward in the league. Um, and I think that's part of like again, like we talked about with Kevin Love signing. Like hopefully, you feel better about that, and you feel better about their rotation in general and what Kevin maybe brings and what that unlocks. But I mean, I'm hoping it starts to improve because again, like I, I like obviously Struess has he's been better lately. Uh, that most of the year has been kind of blood, but part of that, like getting being able to move him back to the bench the way they have in the last couple months has really helped him. Like, do can they get anything else out of their bench? Like they're playing a lot of their like they're playing some two against guys right now. Like I like Jamari Bouye, but he's yeah. been playing a lot. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like I'm, hey. Like Haywood Highsmith has been really good defensively and like actually might be like an NBA rotation player, but like there have been games where he's playing like 25 minutes and it's just like, you're a great defender and you are really valuable on that end, but you really do take some stuff off the court offensively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Like they need him to shoot more and shoot really well. Um, And I don't know if that's him yet. Like I think part of what's fun is like he might get there, but um, right now, probably not. Yeah. He's, Part of it's like the way that they had, you know, how many guys were out and what they were looking like over, you know, in February. But in February, he's played seven games, 23 minutes per game. He's only taking like two and a half threes a game, not shooting super well. And like even just in watching, like he he doesn't really guard like a shooter. He's mostly in the corners. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's a lot of theoretical offense. But again, that's part of what's like exciting about getting Kevin. Okay, what does this add? What does this look like? Um now you're relying on Orlando Robinson less, hopefully. Like, I think you're still hoping to get some of the stuff from him, but, you know, probably having to play him a little bit less now that um, he's not your only real theoretical backup big on the roster because uh, you're yep. is still out. Uh, I don't even remember what he did, but 
Um, I believe it was a foot injury. I'm looking. Yeah, ankle injury. Um, says he's supposed to be able to return right after the Wallace break, but we'll see. Yeah. So let's move past the heat because yeah. I feel like this is just like a hard conversation because Miami's problems are just like so intrinsic at this point in many yeah. ways. I want to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies and the guy that I think is maybe the biggest swing guy in terms of the playoff race in the Western Conference. It's Dylan Brooks. Uh, do you understand Dylan Brooks as a player? I, I realized yeah. that today. Like, I, I feel like I don't – I understand him – I understand why he's useful. I think I almost don't understand how he is so, so successful in some way. Uh, I mean, I I think the longer that I have watched Dylan Brooks, the more I've appreciated him as a player. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I don't appreciate some of his antics, uh, to be fair. Like, I think Donovan Mitchell had every right to swing at him, uh, yeah, if we're being honest. But, uh, like – with I think exactly like you're hitting on like a lot of people get frustrated with Dylan Brooks and I get it, but I also think it's indicative of what the roster needs. Like they need somebody who is willing to take shots. Sometimes it can be too much, but like outside of Ja and, and Desmond Bain, like who on this roster are you relying on to create with the ball in their hands? And even then, like Desmond Bain is Partially, like, he, what makes him so good is what he does off the ball. Like, obviously, he's grown as a non-ball guy. It hasn't hit quite the same since he came back from injury. But, like, they need somebody in the – as the shot clock's winding down, after the ball's out of Jaws' hands, somebody has to be able to take shots. And that's often Dylan Brooks. And it's not always as good as you want it to be. It's not always pretty. It's often very much so not pretty. Um, but then you add that with – I mean, he is a tremendous defender. I don't believe yeah. in his defense player of the year case – um, no. but like he is a legitimate all defense guy. He's turned into that level of player. He embodies yeah. a lot of what the Grizz are on court. And I think like you can't take that away. But again, like it's tough because you kind of have to live and die by what he does. And that's that's how the roster's <laughs> built right now. And I think like to his credit, too, like I'll never forget that playoff series against the Jazz because he was nuts uh in that series. Like, not I don't think it wasn't last year, it was the year before. When he averaged what, like twenty five points per game in a six game series against them, I'm looking it up right now to make sure that I'm right. But I it know was it was something like, absurd. I know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he, yeah, I was right. He averaged twenty six points per game in a five game series against them, shooting like incredibly well from the field. Wasn't as good in this last last playoff run, but it's still like has been pivotal in what they do. But I think it's a good selection because offensively, it's not been a great season from him. Like the shot has not been there from outside. He's never really been a good rim finisher, and it's been worse this year. I, I think, again, part of it is probably how much time Desmond Bain missed. Um, and, I mean, obviously, you know, Jaws missed a little bit of time too, not tons. But, like, I do think that that's probably played some part in it. But I don't know how to feel entirely about it. Like, they need it to turn around for sure. Okay. So, trivia time on Dylan Brooks. The Memphis Grizzlies have a plus 6.3 net rating with Dylan Brooks on the court, according to play-by-play stats, which is Daryl Blackboard's site. If you take John Morant off of the court, what do you think, and leave Dylan Brooks on the court, what do you think the Grizzlies' net rating is? For some reason, I want to say it's better, even though that sounds incorrect. I'm just, that's what I'm going to guess. It's, is it better? It's not better. It is plus 3.6 still, though. So they still win those minutes. 
If you take both John Morant and Jaron Jackson off the court, what do you think their net rating is with Dylan Brooks on the court? It's probably not very good. <laughs> it's plus 4.4. Oh, wow. Okay. See? So whatever the Memphis Grizzlies like magic is doing here, it, it works. Like Dylan Brooks is effective. Like he's not a he's not a product of John Moran. He's not a product of Jaron Jackson. He's not a product of he's a product of Dylan Brooks <laughs> with great players. Like he kind of just plays positively and is is an important positive player to teams because he is super aggressive. He is super confident. We'll go with uh, sometimes overly so. Like you know, Bill Simmons often talks about the irrational confidence guys. Is Dylan Brooks like the irrational confidence guy in today's NBA? He kind of is, right? Oh, for sure. Like, I, I think without question. So you mentioned that playoff series last year against Minnesota. I mean, still averaged 17 points, shot 37% from three in that series, took on really tough defensive assignments. You go to like the Warrior series after he got suspended right? He had 12 points in game four, 12 points in game five, then had the monster like 30 points in game six. Like he rises to the occasion in a big way. He defends tough players every single night. And yet when I was doing Russell Westbrook research for the trade from the Lakers to Utah, just in terms of how Russ was hindering the Lakers at that point, there are only two players in the league that have a worse true shooting percentage than Russell Westbrook this season on high usage, basically. One of them is Dylan Brooks. The other is Killian Hayes. Uh, I, I His inefficiency is ridiculous. Like th- This is, though, by far the least efficient season of his career so far. He is a 48.3 true shooting percentage, which is like insanely low compared to league average this year. Yeah. He has like league average 80, what, 55, 56 right now. It's 57 and a half. It's oh, even wow. higher okay. than that. Yeah. Like his true shooting percentage compared to league average is like 17% below league average, which is again, one of the worst marks in the league. He's never been worse than 89 to 90% below league average in terms of true shooting percentage. I actually kind of think like he hasn't gotten worse. I don't think I think that there actually might be some positive regression coming for Dylan Brooks at some point here as a shooter too. If that comes in the right situation, I don't know, man, like he might actually be huge for them. Like if they might even have more upside, if this shooting spike happens in the playoffs, right. Which I don't think is like a crazy thing to wonder given that he's a great defender and given his importance, like you said, in terms of like late shot clock creation for them when they need a second side option that isn't Tom Morant, Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks making shots and like having this regression to the mean that might be coming at some point, it actually like might be the most important impactful thing among these role player guys in the playoffs, like point blank uh, among any role player in the league. Right. Yeah. No. And I actually would even go like, I mean, him and Steven Adams tied together too. Like, yeah, there are uh, a lot of people like, oh, well, the, the losing streaks happen because of Shannon Sharp. I'm like, no, losing streaks happen because Steven Adams has been out. Like, yeah, they have cratered without him on both ends of the ball, frankly. And like, A, that's concerning. 
but also like, I mean, he's been very good, but like, I agree. I think having Dylan, you, they need to have a better version of Dylan than this uh, for the rest of the season and in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping long term, like, that. I think that's probably why they chased guys like OG and Anobi and Mikhail Bridges reportedly. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think they know that they need a wing shot creator on some level and a guy that can grow with this core. But it also, I think, even goes to further explain why Dylan Brooks is so important for this year because they didn't upgrade on him this year. And if he has a big playoffs, it's critical. It's enormous. Like it is absolutely huge for them moving forward. So I'm very fascinated by Dylan Brooks and what this could look like in the playoffs. Mark, you're up at number two. Who is your second X factor that could really swing this playoff picture? Yeah. A a not so different player. Well, I guess it's different in a lot of ways, but not so different in terms of like what the season's been like for him so far. That's Karis LeVert. Um, I think for a Cavs group that has kind of flown under the radar since the first month of the season, um, you know, they came on obviously very strong. They were number one for a little bit before Brooklyn, not Brooklyn, before Boston, you know, hit gas immediately. Um, And I mean, like, they've still been very good. They're in the four seed. They're probably, unless, like, they go, like, on a crazy hot streak in Philadelphia uh, struggles, they're not getting to the three seed. But yeah, I think as I, I really like this team. I think they have real playoff equity just given what Donovan and Darius bring. I think it's going to depend who they play in the first round for sure. But I think this is a team that we could see kind of sneaking into a conference finals if things really play all right for them. But I don't. I think that they are really going to struggle with playoff success unless they get a better version of Karis LeVert than what they've got. Um, and I, I honestly question that that's going to happen. I think to be fair to him, I think he's really tried his ass off to be good in his role. Like I think his defense has been a lot better this year. I don't, I still don't think it's very good, but compared to what it was for his time in Indiana and most of Brooklyn, I think it's been better. Um, the issue is just the decision-making. Like, I think people could look at his assist per game and turnovers and be like, oh, he's got a that's, – that's a pretty good guy to have running off the, off the bench. It, it has not been the case. Like, his shot selection continues to just be vexing. He really doesn't put pressure on the rim. It's never really felt like he has all that much connection with either, either of the bigs. Like, he's okay throwing lobs occasionally, but a lot of the times it's just it's grenade passes after he opts out of a shot or gets doubled late and gets uncomfortable with the ball. And – it leads to just a lot of really poor possessions for them. And it seems like a, a minor thing. Like he's still been okay enough. Like again, the shots been there from outside, but it's kind of wavered as the year's gone on. Um, I just think if this team wants to be a real playoff contender this year, they need him to be better, frankly, uh, in what he's bringing for them. And I think hopefully, you know, Ricky Rubio can help with some of that. He hasn't really looked completely right since coming back from injury. Um and again, you're asking a lot out of what, like, how old is 32-year-old Ricky Rubio? Like, you're still yeah. asking a lot out of him. And Karras has never been a real off-ball player. Like, that's part of the conundrum that's of right. Karras. Like, he's a secondary who has to be a primary to, to really get the most out of him. So it's just kind of like, well, what does this really mean for us? And uh, I don't know. Um, I'm hopeful that that things can work out. But it is it has uh, not really been his year. So I'm glad that you brought up the Cavs because I think they have a lot of these guys that kind of fit this conversation, right? And I'm glad you brought up Karis first because I think Karis is probably the swing guy because we actually kind of have two playoff series of Karis being like really good 
in Brooklyn and, and actually like rising to the occasion comparatively to like who he is previously. Mm-hmm. He averaged 21 points per game in two playoff series for Brooklyn. That was a very fun series, actually. The uh well, like the, well, the Philly one was crazy, but even the like Toronto one yeah, Toronto was, was like somewhat fun for him, right? Like he had the terrible like five for twenty-two game, but in that series, he also had like a pair of games where he had 15 assists and 11 assists. Uh, he averages in his nine playoff games, 21 points, six assists, five rebounds uh, and shoots 45% from three. I think that's probably unsustainable. Let's be clear about that. But the other thing I wanted to bring up is, is it kind of bizarre to you that Karis Levert has just never learned how to shoot? Because, like, he was a 40% three-point shooter for three straight years at Michigan. Like, he was a good shooter. And when he got to the NBA, it just changed. I I would have bet that his skill coming into the NBA was shooting. And it's it's not that. Yeah, I mean, it's been tough because his uh... – like even just looking at his months, like October he shot forty nine percent from three, but then November and December combined he shot thirty one percent from three, shot forty two percent from three in January in sixteen games, and then is back to twenty four percent in February. It, it, like it's just inconsistent. I think even from watching him as much as I did in Indiana, to me a lot of it, and it's been I I, I need to check to see if the numbers have held up this year. If it has held up, this will be the first year that he shot better on catch and shoots than he has off the dribble, and that's more because he is so bad on catch and shoot threes compared to off the dribble, like off the dribble, he shoots like average, like 35, 30, 36%. But on catch and shoots, he shoots like around 30% for his career. Um, A lot of it I think is footwork and how he preps off the gather and just what he, what his shot prep in general is like, he's just way more comfortable getting into it off the dribble. Um, So yeah, I agree. It has been kind of vexing that it's just never come around. I think that that's arguably been his biggest swing skill because that's, what's hindered him a lot from becoming a better player uh, or becoming a, not even like he's been a good player or a solid player, but like becoming a more capable uh, player or or a more versatile player, I should say. Cause like, again, like we just talked about, like if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, it's kind of like, well, what do you do? Um, So it's a really, it's a really weird blend with him. It is. It's a weird blend, but the other guys I wanted to talk about too with the Cavs are, like Dean Wade has been really critical, right? Like I think Dean Wade's been really good this year in the minutes that he's played. And then you kind of see, like, I, I don't totally know what's going on with his minutes. Like it, they seem to fluctuate so drastically from time to time, right? Like, you know, he's played like in the three games before the all-star break, 11 minutes, five minutes, eight minutes. But then you look, the games where he plays like a bunch of minutes, they tend to succeed. And, and like that was coming off of the back of, uh, you know, a, a terrific run where I think they won like eight out of 10 games where he played 25 minutes and averaged like seven points and shot 40% from the field and 50% or 40% from three and 50% from the field and played versatile defense and allows them to stay big in the way that they did last year. Do, do you understand the Dean Wade like of it all, because I don't. Uh, I I don't have like a full on um, a full on thing with it. I think part of the issue has been um, just trying to work him back into the rotation after him being gone for as long as he was. You know, I think that's contributed for sure as just kind of a difficulty with that. Um, you know, I don't I don't have a great answer with it because I, I like I'm I'm with you. I think they need a lot more from him. 
um, or to, to be able to work him in to get more if they're going to make it work. Um, Cause he has been really important for what they do and pivotal for what they do. Um, no, I don't, I don't really have a great answer for it. Yeah. And then like on top of it, the other guy we have to talk about is Isaac Okoro, right? Because Okoro has taken some somewhat real strides this season that are very interesting. Like, over his last little while, I think he's actually been fairly effective for Cleveland. Yeah. Like I know that uh, Cavs fans tend to get a little bit frustrated with him, but it does feel like there's a bit of a turn there on the, in the tide. But if you look, he's starting now. I mean, he started their last 21 games. He's averaging 26 minutes a night, taking on incredibly hard defensive assignments, but shooting 57% from the field, 44% from three, averaging nine points, three rebounds, two assists. Staying limited, but, you know, not a guy the team's guard out there, certainly from the three-point line. They don't really care, but has taken advantage of the opportunities that is co- that have come his way while also being, like, a really impactful defensive player. I, I never have completely jumped ship on the Okoro-like thing. I- I- I've that always liked this. I've always liked his potential as a role player. He-, he actually, like, might be the swing guy for them because of that defensive ability that they like just truly need out on the court from the wing position, given Donovan and Darius at all times. Like he's, he's huge for them too. Well, he's actually only about six, five. So he's not that huge, but uh, no, in terms yeah, of, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really it, derailing. but <laughs> no, I agree. But I think maybe I'm just baking it in too much. I just, I just buy these last two months from Isaac. Like he's been so good. Um, and again, like his stats don't pop, but been exactly exactly what they need like he just is not hesitating as much um everything feels in rhythm his shot doesn't feel uh what's the right word doesn't feel wonky anymore like there was always kind of like some hitchiness to it even when it like it always just felt very stiff like everything it feels feels less wonky yeah 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 like it just feels like his his shot is pretty fluid now compared to what it was prior like again i still think that you want to see more but this is like the real development you want to see and again, like I'm always going to be beholden to. He had a game. I think he had what, like a 30 piece against Phoenix's rookie year in the back half of the year. I'm never going to let go of that forever. <laughs> I'm going to remember that game until 2045 when Isaac Cora is long retired and done. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe I'm just already bought into what he is. But I think part of it's the Cavs are kind of bought into what he is. Like I think if they weren't, he wouldn't be starting anymore. I think that they would have yeah. sidelined him, and they've just been pretty comfortable with areas where he's at right now. <laughs> Uh, did you watch Danny Green at all uh, in those four games that he played for the Cavs? A little or, bit. Uh, no, he only played one he's, game. For yeah, the he's Cavs. only, he only played, played one game. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, I think the idea is that they don't have to play Lamar Stevens. Like, I like Lamar Stevens, but, like, again, it's just that well, he can't. He's not going to get guarded like a shooter. He doesn't really shoot. As much as I, I would, again, another guy that I will always have stakes on, uh, Lamar Stevens, but um, geez, the only guy worse than Isaac in terms of pre-college shot sample. Um, for anybody who's never watched Lamar Stevens' college career, it's it's an experience. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'm not super high on what Danny's going to be for them. I think he can be a 15 minutes per game guy, but his mobility is pretty shot right now. Um, that I mean, that happens when you're 35 years old. So I'm not trying to be too harsh to him, but like, I think the idea is, okay, can we get Ricky to be able to take the Howell and Nettle minutes because Howell's just not been very good this year. Um, 
at least for what this team needs. And can we get Danny to to take over some of the Lamar minutes or, or just, you know, have it, have him as an option. Okay. The next guy that I want to bring up is Josh Green. The Dallas Mavericks. I'll just pose this question. Is Josh Green currently the third best player on the Dallas Mavericks? Well, there's not really a whole lot to pick from, but yeah, um, I think I would probably go Josh. He's been really good. Um, his his February has been very kind to him, and he's been very kind to it. So yeah, I, I would say that he's up there, especially for what they want to do going forward. Yeah. I think he is the third best player on the Dallas Mavericks since he got back from that little injury. He is averaging... 13 points, three rebounds, 2.3 assists while shooting 52% from the field, 38% from three, 73% from the line has entered the starting lineup over the course of those last seven games and just run with it. He, He truly has just run with it in such a substantial way. And I think that he is absolutely enormous to what they do. If you look at the on off numbers with Josh Green, they are a negative one when he is off the court. They're a plus four when he's on the court. And you can say he's played a lot of minutes with Luka Doncic, except you kind of can't. Uh, under 50% of his minutes on the court this season have actually come with Luka. But when he does play with Luka, that duo just absolutely kills. They're a plus 11.2 in the Josh Green-Luka Doncic minutes this season, which are, uh, if I remember correctly, about 450 minutes. They have a 111.1 defensive rating when Josh Green uh, is on the court with Luka Doncic. He's just enormous. Like he, he has been absolutely enormous for them. His energy, his activity level, he never stops moving, never stops running, never stops going. The shooting has been enough to make it work. He's been confident enough as a shooter. I think much like what we talked about with Isaac Okoro, Josh Green's shooting has ironed out a little bit as well. He no longer has that little bit of a hitch kind of coming across like from – he kind of brings it up the middle left side a little bit and then, then kind of brought it across a little bit. He's fixed that, it seems like, uh, over the course of the last couple of years. So Josh Green is enormous. He is absolutely huge, I think, for Dallas's chance to make a deep run in the playoffs. Again, also only 6'5". But yes, uh, especially defensively. You're, you're just like, killing me with these guys that are like only 6'5". I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm here uh, for it. Yeah, but uh, no, like I think in especially like what we talked about on the last pod with how small Dallas is probably going to be playing down the stretch now um, for what they're trying to do defensively, just to be active again, not necessarily that they're good, but being active, um, having him and his ability to cover ground and muck things up is going to be really important. Um, Getting more out of him as a short old guy is going to be important. And especially too, just like for a team that frankly hasn't drafted well outside of Luca, like, having a win as an organization out of drafting a guy who is starting to look like somebody and prioritizing that and making him continue to become somebody. Cause like, obviously I don't, Josh Green is not going to become like a star level player. Like I would, I would bet against that. Um, But having another guy that is turning into somebody who a, and I'm not trying to trade him preeminently, but like what a, he could become part of like a package that you're trading for a star, or he just becomes somebody who is like one of the, players on the next great Dallas team or like the next iteration of like great Dallas teams alongside Luca moving forward. Cause obviously, you know, that's probably not quite what this year is going to be. It would be cool if it was, I would love to see it happen, but exactly. Like I think getting, continuing to get him more experienced and developing into 
this guy who is just kind of a hybrid everything that can play alongside Luca and be a dominant secondary player or tertiary player is, is what you want to see. Yeah. I mean, do you remember the whole uh, Bob Holgaris thing where he got like an immense amount of shit for taking Josh Green over Sadiq Bay? Who who would you rather have now Sadiq Bay or Josh, Josh Green? Depends on the team, but it would be Josh here for sure. I don't even think it depends on the team. I think it's very clearly Josh Green. I don't even think it's close. One of them can defend, right? Like, that's really what it comes down to. Josh is a good defender. Now, I'm glad you actually brought up the fact that Josh Green is six foot five because I think this is a critical part of the equation. He has been really good defensively. I think he is much better dealing with smaller guys than like having to defend up the lineup, has been what I've seen from him. Losing Dorian Finney Smith, though. I think is big because if you lose Dorian Finney-Smith, he is the guy that could guard up the lineup, deal with those stronger dudes, those more physical wing forward types. Like if they run into the Clippers again, like is Josh Green going to have to guard Kawhi Leonard? That that seems like yeah. it won't go well for Josh Green. If Josh Green has to guard a smaller guy than Kawhi Leonard, like if you have to throw Josh Green on Desmond Bain for a while and Desmond's had a great year, he's 20 point per game score. I think that's something that will go much better for Josh Green, right? Yeah, I think the hope is like obviously, like I mean, I think the hope's going to be like honestly, like Maxi Cleaver is almost like their swing guy because like if he's not healthy, yeah. then I have a lot less faith in them in a playoff series because they lose like any real kind of versatility in their roster. Um, like, all that, man, dude, now I'm just thinking about him in that playoff series against the Clippers, both playoff series against the Clippers, but the first one, the yeah. the bubble playoff series against the Clippers, man, he was so good. Um, yeah, I mean, Maxi is enormous for them too. Originally, I was going to say Maxi, but Josh has just been so good over the last yeah. month. Like, he actually might just be their third best player at this point. I mean, he's not th- their third most talented player is Christian Wood, but I just don't know how much we can count on Christian Wood. And frankly, I don't know how much you can play a Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, Christian Wood triumvirate in the playoffs defensively. I think there's just a lot of mismatches that can be attacked that way. Yeah, and you know what? Like, it feels like a lot of Christian Wood stuff tends to be like engagement and like being locked in. Maybe he'll lock in for the playoffs. Like, I guess that that's not impossible, right? There, there are moments where Christian Wood shows defensive flashes, right? I I mean, maybe I'm being too positive, but it's not impossible that he could figure it out. But I I think Maxi, I think Maxi and Josh are the two guys that are going to play in the critical moments for Dallas with Luca and with Kyrie. Right. And then maybe it's Reggie Bullock. Maybe it's Christian Wood. Maybe it's, um, you know, Tim Hardaway at times. Maybe it's, you know, you, you can point to other potential players, except like you almost kind of can't just because how much depth do they really have? Yeah. But th- there, there are not a ton of options here. I think that their best bet is going to be going, two-way players first as opposed to offensive players first. Yeah, no, most definitely. And then the other thing that I think is really big for Josh Green, I I would be tying Josh Green to like Kyrie's hip because Josh Green excels like trying to run and get out in transition. And Kyrie is just better at pushing in transition than Luca is, right? Like Luca does want to slow it down a little bit more. I think that Kyrie pairing with Josh Green out on the break when Kyrie does decide to push in transition, that is something that can be beneficial for Dallas. Yeah. 
no, I agree. Um, and I think we saw some glimpses of what that can look like already. And it's, uh, it's definitely got me excited for what the rest of the year can look like. Okay. You're up with your third X factor for the 2023 NBA playoffs. Yeah. I'm trying to reduce it down. Uh, I of have, course you are. <laughs> I, I always have too big of a list. Um, but I think I'm going to end up going with Larry Nance Jr. Um, okay. I like I, maybe part of this is me just being optimistic about the Pels because I'm always going to be. I really want to be um, just like, a, I mean, even if Zion's not coming back for a little bit still, which that sucks. I don't even want to talk about that. But um, Larry was really big for them in the playoffs last year and what they did in that first round. Um, I think in terms of kind of having the ability to um, kind of like we talked about with the Clippers, but obviously different, like being able to play a lot of different lineups. I think a lot of that hinges on what he does and what he's able to bring for them. Um, and if you get a rough Larry season, I'm mean, not season, a, a rough or geez, a rough Larry um, series, I think that makes it tough. Like, again, like I think he was solid against the Suns, but then there were also moments where it was like, oh, I kind of wish that this was a little bit different or like that we had a little bit more. Like it always felt like they were looking for something that was in between what Larry and JV brought. And I think that's why they ended up losing the series. Like not entirely just that, like, part of it was just Phoenix was better. Um, but I, uh, I, I would, I would consider him a swing guy. I would too. It just depends on if they're healthy, right? Like if they're healthy, he's really important. I mentioned this on the podcast I did with Kane Pittman yesterday, but do you know what the Pelicans net rating is in the very, very, very limited minutes that Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum and Zion Williamson have played together? Like a million. It kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, it's plus 14.9 Yeah, in those minutes. It's an enormous number. It's a huge, huge number for a team like New Orleans. And the question for them is going to be, do they try and bludgeon teams? In certain circumstances, they're going to have to. Like if they play Denver in the first round, which is a real possibility, they're going to have to play relatively big with Jonas because you have to have someone who can like body up Jokic on some level, right? Um I feel better about Jonas against Jokic than Larry, don't you? Uh, yes, yeah, for sure. Especially with like that. I mean, that's asking a lot out of um out of Larry to guard Jokic. Yeah, or maybe you just like go wildly small with like spacing, and you go like CJ Brandon, Zion, Trey Murphy, and you know another small like Najee Marshall, Herb Jones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I would want the shooting out there, so I don't know if I'd go with either of those two. But maybe you just go hyper small and just like try and outgun the Nuggets. That seems like a bad idea, given that they have the best offense in the league. But like, if anyone can do it, the Pelicans might be able to do it um, and just let Jokic go nuts. I, I don't know what their best alignment is in that series, but I think the point of why I'm still intrigued by the Pelicans and why I ranked them still yesterday as the 13th team that I think could make a run toward a conference finals, NBA finals, etc., is because they're so multiple and versatile and Larry Nance unlocks a lot of that for them with his ability to play as a small ball center, his ability to be switchable defensively, uh, his help defense, his leadership defensively as well. We did see that in the playoffs last year against Phoenix. That was a really critical part of it for them. It's not, it's not impossible. Like this is a, this is a sleeping, very, very dangerous team that if I was, 
an opposing team, if they are fully healthy, here's a fun question for you, Mark. Who, who would you rather play? A fully healthy Pelicans team or like Dallas in the playoffs? Oh, I'd so much rather play Dallas than a fully healthy Pelicans team. Would you rather play the Kings, who are currently the third seed, or a fully healthy Pelicans team? Make me go against my Kings. I love love the Kings. Love we the love Kings, them. but it's I'd rather play them than the Pelicans. I would rather play them than the Pelicans, too. Would you rather play Memphis or a fully healthy Pelicans team? Uh, I think I'll go fully healthy Pelicans just because the Pels don't really have a ton of playoff experience, and the, the Grizzlies are starting to get there. Um so I think I would probably go Pelicans in this situation. But even then, like, I think it's less of a toss th- than that. I think I would too, but I think it's very close. Yeah. Uh, that's just kind of where I'm at on this Pelicans team. Like, if they are fully healthy, this is a good team. The problem is that, like, is fully healthy Pelicans an actual reality that we can actually think happens? We don't need to talk I'm about not, it because I'm envisioning it. I'm pretending it's happening that's, that's regardless. That's the important part here. Yeah. That's the important part here. Do you want to sing the praises of Larry Nance anymore? Because I do love Larry Nance. Uh, all I have to say is Richfield, Ohio's finest. Um, it's about 30 <laughs> minutes from me. Um, so, yeah. Uh, funnily enough, like, literally, I mean, I didn't know about Larry until he was, like, it, I think his junior year at Wyoming is when he, like, really popped for me the first time because like his team the team was pretty good that year if I remember correctly um but yeah like really never heard anything about him um when he was coming out which is kind of wild but yeah I love Larry Nance dude's awesome okay now we're gonna go to maybe my favorite role player in the NBA is gonna be the final guy we talk about as a huge x factor in the playoffs it's Derek White out of the Boston Celtics I love Derek White I love everything he brings to the table He's a great defender. He fights through screens. He is a monster in their drop coverage uh, defensive structure. He gets so many recovery blocks. He is just a general elite level closeout defender because of his timing in terms of being able to disrupt players going up for the shot. Uh, He's turned into a very real shooter this season. We'll see how long that holds up. I mean, like, it's a good question. Like, where are you on Derek White's shooting ability? Uh, I think it's just better this year. Like I trust it a lot more than I did last year. Um, Like I think, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it looks like he really tweaked his shot a little bit over the summer. And that's obviously helped him a lot with where it is this year. He's just more comfortable getting it off. Um, It's a lot smoother. Obviously the numbers are way better on it. Um, I think it's just better overall. And that's contributed to him just becoming a way more impactful all around offensive player. Like, He's been awesome this year. I I think that there's a legitimate case that he's been like their their third or fourth best player at times this year with yeah. how how much he's done for them uh, all around. Like I think he should be an all defense nominee. I thought that last year too, but of course they don't believe me. But um, like hey, <laughs> like I I'll never forget, dude. It's like I don't need to speak too much. I had like Spurs fans come for me when I said he was a better defender than Dejounte Murray, and I did not I did not think that was a hot take at all. Like he's to me, always been a better defender. That's a good question. Other than like the one all defense season that Dejounte had. But once Dejounte came back from injury, he's just never been the same defensively, like respectfully. Like, yes, he gets steals, but he's a positive defender. I don't think he's defense, but like Derek just does all of the things defensively that are good. And he's so technically and fundamentally sound. Um, Like last year against the Heat, I wrote an article about the way that he just 
destroyed so many of their handoffs and, and off-ball actions because he's one of the best screen navigators in basketball and best screen chasers in basketball. Um, like, I, I – a lot gets made out of, like, oh, well, like, teams try and target him on the ball and, like, Okay, well, yeah, he's not really meant to handle guys who are six seven or six eight on the ball. He's six four and a little bit lighter, but he's still pretty pretty good in those situations. Like there are, there's just not really a weak spot for Derek White on defense. Um, and yeah, and like again, all of that coming together, like he just had like the greatest month of his career as an offensive player. Like scored in double figures for the last twelve games. I'm excited to see what it looks like coming back. But I mean, they have. Such a good guard room. Him, Smart, Brogdon. Um, yeah, but I I am uh I'm not really worried about Derek. I am also not worried about Derek. I really just want to talk about him because I love talking about Derek White. Uh and, and you're right, he's coming off of the best month of his career in his last eleven games, uh going back toward January 24th, he's averaging 20 points, six assists versus only 1.2 turnovers. That's a sterling. Five to one assist to turnover ratio, four point six rebounds, shooting 47 and a half percent from the field, forty two and a half percent from three, eighty seven percent from the line. By the way, do you know how many three pointers he's taking uh, per game in those eleven games? Like six or seven. Seven point three per game. Which that's definitely which is, high. Shooting at volume has just never been his thing. He's actually shooting at volume now with very real confidence. I love Derek. I love everything that Derek White's game is. I, I think he is. I mean, here's the best question: like, who is who is Boston's best guard? It's been him this year for me. I think uh, it's been him. Well, it's because I mean, Marcus has been really good. I know, like, the overall shooting percentages haven't been great for Marcus, but I think like this has been a like with with the way that he's come roundabout into becoming like a true lead guard. It's been really fun. Like, because this is yeah. like the perfect team for a guy like him is is what he does as a guard. Um, so I think I would probably uh, – and Brogdon's been really good too. Like, I just got to say, and this is not meant to be, like, unfair to the other six-man-of-the-year candidates, I do not know why Brogdon is not, like, the runaway six-man-of-the-year. Oh, he, he is. Right he, he's he, – Talk to anybody. Having, talk, like, talk to minus a bunch of national media right people now. like are like, well, he's not up there. And I'm like, like – they're like, oh, he's like a top five candidate. And I just oh, – what are we doing here, man? He's been awesome. Like – I yeah. he's been yeah the, the, he he he's very clearly going to win six man of the year. I'm not I I'm, I'm not, not ready to say that he will. I think that like for if I could vote on it right now, I would like he he would get it. But I it seems like it's not going to be that cut and dry. Yeah, um, I don't know. He's like a minus two fifty right now, uh, like according to betting odds. Shout out our friends at uh, BetMGM Sportsbook. But like he he's like pretty clearly the favorite among that part of it right like who knows if voters agree I, I think that you know nba awards voters do strange things from time to time but i can't imagine that he won't win that right like he's averaging 15 points a game 48 percent from the field 46 percent from three four assists four rebounds it's just been awesome running the second unit having said that like i mean Derek white has been even better Derek white is a better defender who is shooting not quite as high from three, but has been just so much better defensively that it's just like huge. And by the way, you know, my favorite potential lineup in the playoffs is that I kind of want to see, I don't think they'll actually run it out. I I would love to see Boston randomly just try Derek white, Marcus smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, no fives. 
play all spacing, all creation, just outrunning gun teams. I, I think Joe Missoula would love to do that. Joe Missoula is like an offense guy. Just just go nuts. Just play super five out and just go crazy with it. Yeah, I wouldn't complain. I'd love to see it. Won't happen, but I'd love to see it. That, that's where I'm at on it. Like, we'll never in a million years be something that they do, but just desperately need to see it on some level, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to see if they've done that at all this year. They've done it for three minutes this year. Uh, they won those minutes a little bit, but by like a couple of points in those minutes. But yeah, Derek White, just shout out Derek White, man. Uh, that's a good question. If he gets to that one block per game mark, I do wonder if he ends up getting real all defense, like second team all defense, first team all defense consideration because there, there just have not been many guards that gets a one block per game and i wonder if like that would be the thing that tracks with voters right yeah it'd be interesting he's at like 0.9 right now uh okay mark you wanted to talk about leonard miller your good friend lenny my good friend lenny uh yeah we're talking about of mice and men today uh on game <laughs> theory um yeah no i i I just did like recently a deep dive on, on ignite and I came away feeling like, I mean, I'd watched some quite a few games early on in the year. Uh, I'd watched Leonard last year. Um, but I came away just feeling like pretty positive about Leonard, especially in a draft where the back end of the first round um, feels a little bit uncertain this year. You know, there's a lot of ability for, for guys to kind of rise up and become interesting in that range. And for me, Leonard, like I'm, like I think Leonard's closer to a top 20 guy than being a, you know, like almost out of the first round guy for me now with, with how the year has gone and what his years looked like. Um, I think, you know, this was a big step up in competition for him to go to ignite from where he was playing Um, this last season. He kind of just burst onto everybody's radar uh, very towards the end of the cycle last year. Um, And he's just become a very pleasant player for me to watch. Cause he, there just aren't players like Leonard Miller in the Nobody way. Nobody like Leonard moves. Miller. Yeah. The, the way that he moves is just funky. Like you don't see guys who are six ten, six eleven that, that move like Leonard Miller does. Um, I think is the best way to put it. Like that's probably the most intriguing thing about him is that he has like real interesting movement skills at six ten, six eleven. Um, and interesting can, is one word for it. Yeah, interesting. Like, well, because part of we talked about this on the phone the other day, but it's like they're interesting, but it's also like what happens if you take those away? Because like I think in some ways it's like okay, well, if you because part of why he moves so interesting is like it almost feels like uh, he's moving in like multiple directions at the same time because of yeah. how his his body moves and like works, but he also is like generally pretty off balance all the time, which is quite a bit impacted what his shot is. Um, it also results in him traveling a lot. Um, but also like it throws off defenders like, all the time. Cause he just hits stuff from the weirdest angles possible. Um, and I mean, it, it generally it raises one of the biggest questions for me where it's like, how much can you fix that without ruining what makes him interesting? Um, but I don't know, long story short, like there's a lot to be interested by with him, especially because like the touch inside the arc is so good. Like he's really, I mean, he he can hit stuff through contact. Um, 
He can do some stuff off the dribble that is pretty enticing on drives. It's not like, you know, like you're not asking him to like, oh, go isolate. Not not that at all. But in terms of like they'll run a lot of stuff of use him as a fake DHO operator, um, you know, operate out of horns to try and get him some straight line drives. And um, that kind of stuff is really interesting because, again, like he can cover large swaths of ground in just a few strides and he's really good finishing around the rim. Um, So it's like it's all interesting stuff to me. Because, again, just having players that big who are not negative movers um, that could become something. Sorry, what were you? Well, in terms of like he has mobility, I should say. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I know you and I have uh, – I'm interested to see where you're at because there's there's always some fun stuff. Yeah. I'm very interested in Leonard Miller. I I am – I was someone who had him right around 35, 40, you know, 28 last year. And that's about where I have him this year. Like I am, l- let me say what I'm positive on first, because we do like to generally be a little bit more positive on this show. That's correct. The thing that worried me with Leonard Miller last year was just like, he had the ball in his hands all the time. And I didn't really see like a true offensive creator coming out of like the Ontario scholastic league. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the combine, like he just had no idea what he was doing. Right. It just seemed like a guy that did not have a lot of high level basketball experience. And Oh, by the way, he's a guy that didn't have a lot of high, high level basketball experience entering that. Right. Because he is someone that played no high level AAU basketball. Cause I think he got hurt uh, the year he was at Wasatch Academy and then went back to Canada and then had like the growth spurt as well. He had the late growth spurt that saw him go from, I think like six, five, six, six, all the way up to six foot 10. So, a very, very different trajectory and a very, very different player than what he'd always been, right? And these late bloomers, late growth spurt guys are always really interesting to me on some level because I think that they tend to have different developmental tracks in terms of aging curves than other players. The thing that I love about what he's done this year is he's embraced being six foot ten. He's embraced like all of the dirty work stuff. He he is someone that is happy to sit in the dunker spot and just wait for a dump off. Now he's someone that's happy to like, you know, attack the offensive glass when someone drives and misses a layup. The fact that he's learning how to use his frame and like physicality a little bit better is the stuff that's really important to me because I think there was always just like that glue that is missing from his game. That's a way that like just being six foot 10 and being a guy that's a seven foot two wingspan, nine foot standing reach, getting downhill, attacking the offensive glass, like doing things that just being an athlete at that size and having weird coordination is maybe the way to put it. Maybe not always on balance, but having skills uh, is a way to take advantage of those abilities and just playing hard all the time is something that's really valuable. I love that he's embraced doing that for this team. That's what I've been most impressed with, with him, with the Ignite. I still don't know what the role is in the NBA, is is what my concern is. I still don't know, ideally, how you make him work at the next level. And in large part, it's because he still just has no idea what he's doing defensively, right? And again, I I think this comes back to not having a lot of high-level basketball experience. And I think there's a very real chance that as he gains that, he could become better at it. Uh, as he gains that experience playing 
high level basketball in the G League, which I think, by the way, like he is a pure stash next year. Even if you take him in the yeah. first round, stick him in the G League for another year, please. Like he, that level of high level basketball is really good for him right now. Playing him in the NBA, I think, is not a good idea right now. Yeah, uh, he's very but, not ready to be an NBA player. And that's totally okay. Like that, that is, that's not a, that's not a slight at him. That is just where he is in his development. And I think it's okay that that's where he is in his development. Um, the thing that worries me is I, I just don't think he can play defensively at the NBA level right now. And I don't know, it, it comes down to like a philosophical thing. Like, can you get those reps that he has missed over the years back? You know what I mean? Like, those high level reps that he does not have as many of as Walker Kessler having played years upon years of high level basketball in the AAU circuit at the prep level, going to Auburn and North Carolina for two years. Like, can you get those back is kind of my question. Can you, can you develop that skill at some point? I I don't know the answer to that, frankly, I, I just don't. And that's why he is, such a fascinating player in so many respects. Yeah, I think, uh, and maybe this is me being too um, too fair with him, or a fair strong word, maybe being too lenient with him, but I think, like, just in fairness, the, I don't know if any of the prospects on G League Ignite, other than Scoot, have an idea of what they're doing defensively right now. Um, like, it's uh, it's been pretty rough for all of them and what it looks like. Um, like again, like there are flashes and stuff, but uh, I think overall scheme is like it feels like Eric Mike, Mika is like yelling at two or three guys every possession for 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 a blow up. Um, but I agree. Like I think he really needs the the reps to continue growing that end. But I do think like there's real intrigue in a in a in a guy who could maybe if a team really believes in his shot coming around and being able to work on it and rep it out. Like even if he just becomes like a moderate volume, yeah. decent shooter. Like I, I think there's always Did like you, I have no faith in him becoming a movement shooter whatsoever. Like oh, just, neither do I. D- yeah. Do you have faith in him even? So he- here's the thing: there is real touch there, like undeniably. Like I, I, you talked about it in terms of the paint. I think he has like displays real touch even like out to 15 feet. Even like the mechanics from three point line are like what in like script writing terms is like a page one rewrite. Uh, It is, he has to completely change those, I think to become an effective three point shooter. Like he brings it up too far from the middle. He has like too much offhand interaction. I don't really love the shot prep. Like I think that across the board, he has to rewrite those mechanics. Yeah. And that's scary. I think for teams. Yeah. So I'll maybe see again, maybe I'm too, uh, too, optimistic with it but i think to me that's less scary just because i think like it, it part of what's exciting about that to me is with what the rest of his game is if you could like if if you can just unlock even a little bit with the shot i think you get a really interesting player like i think i'm there's going to be real bear like i am i wouldn't say i'm out on him becoming like a a guy who can start games in the future, but like part of why he's there's such a hindrance to it is what the shot is right now. Like we're talking about like a guy who currently has probably a worse shot trajectory than like Herb Jones did. And that's, that's a lot, man. Like Herb has put in a shit ton of work to make his shot better. And it's still a work in progress. Um, And you see like what that can do for somebody, but at the same time, like that's what adds in stuff like, okay, well, 
what is what does that defensive development continue to look like? And exactly like you talked about, like having a guy who is so such a late bloomer in his development is what makes it interesting. Because like, what does that look like when he's able to get more G League development instead of having gone the college route? And um, like, I think that could even if things like really don't go right with the shot, or it just goes a lot. Uh, it's more of an average shot development than anything. Like I think you still get a potentially very interesting rotation uh, forward, which to me, like uh, um, that's just interesting. Like it, so, it's so the, th- this goes back to what my question was, right? What, what is the role that like, what does the role look like? Cause you're talking about like skills, right? But like what, what it, that's a little bit different than the role. So given today's modern basketball and like the archetype of what role players tend to look like, what is the role that you're envisioning for him? Yeah, I think ideally to me, he's kind of like uh, playing alongside a really good guard would be like sick with him. Like unlocking him as a roller, getting him going down to, downhill towards the rim, um, kind of playing him alongside. Like if there was like a pick and pop big, I think he'd be a really interesting four to play alongside somebody like that. Like obviously yeah. he's not Jared Vanderbilt, but I think trying to do some of the same stuff that the Wolves and Jazz had had done previously with – unlocking what Vanderbilt's become. Um, yeah. And he has better touch inside the arc than Vanderbilt does, which is what makes it all the more exciting. Like if you can unlock yeah. some of the uh, the handle stuff by by getting interesting with him in some of those ways, um, that could be cool. How would you rate Leonard's feel? Because like Jared Vanderbilt has like real feel on defense and yeah. like real – like he, he also plays with with a motor that just like does not quit. Yeah. Like there's a difference between Leonard like having improved in that regard and like attacking and being willing to do that, and Jared Vanderbilt having like the best motor in his draft class. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And again, like it's not that cut and dry. Um, like I think because yeah. again, the idea too, like he has a better shot potential than than what Jared did, which helps. Um, yeah, but, I would agree. Um. So again, like it's not the same one to one, but again, more more just like finding ways to get him going with line drives and anything getting somebody that big towards the room. Because I think he's a guy who could like sneakily have a pretty large free throw rate with how long his limbs are and just again, like if you can script some stuff and you can go downhill. But um, I, I think his feel has come along quite a bit from where it was last year. I, I wouldn't necessarily yeah. call it. I wouldn't call it bad. I wouldn't call it great either. I think it's it's something that. I really need to yeah. see continue to improve, of course. Um, like he can I, make- I would say it's below average right now. Yeah. Like I, I think that there is real growth potential and the fact that he is on like a real upward trajectory with it makes me think that he could get there. But it's it's below average right now. That that mm-hmm. and again, different track record, different trajectory than most prospects. Like we have to acknowledge that here within this conversation. And that that again is what makes him so challenging. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I do think that he's improved this year in terms of making some, and it's rudimentary stuff, but like making dump offs, making some just, again, if he's going towards the rim, making some okay reads, it's not perfect. Um, But I think like, I generally trust him. If he's, if you're not asking him like, okay, create from a standstill, if it's like, okay, get the ball on the move. Like, I think generally he's making the right stuff happen. Um, So it's, it's, it's progress. So the the last thing that I'll bring up here, just like behind the scenes stuff. So he was um, and continues to be repped by uh, BDA, WME agency, which tends to go through P3 uh, out in Santa Barbara for their pre-draft stuff. 
and then also uh, obviously as like a substantial on-court aspect of their pre-draft stuff. I think the P3 could be really interesting for him in terms of being able to try to unlock what makes him such a good athlete and then trying to find ways to improve the balance aspect of his game, particularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that that is actually what he needs in terms of like, he will be getting what he needs to improve, which some players don't find that right. Like if you go with an agency that doesn't necessarily have the right trainers, doesn't necessarily have the right tools at your disposal. Sometimes that doesn't always work out in guys hitting their ceiling. I think that this is the right agency for the right player because of that P3 aspect that I think is going to be valuable for him. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. Um, especially too, like I think improving the balance system is really important for his defense. Um, yeah. Like if he gets going in the wrong direction, it's very hard for him to get going the other way again. Um, so I think that's going to be something big for him because he's like pretty straight up. Um, like he's, I wouldn't necessarily call him stiff. Like I think, no, I actually definitely wouldn't so, call him stiff. But I think I would, it's hard. I think I would call him stiff with like flexible hips almost yeah. like like lower body stiff with flexible like torso weirdly it, it's a bizarre athletic archetype for sure yeah. I, I don't totally know how to describe it mm. no exactly that's why they're talking about him is so fun because like like i mean who else he doesn't sound like anybody you've ever talked about before yeah like, that's it's very fun yeah like all of this, by the way, is why I thought that like the top 10 talk for him, like there were people that were like talking about him as like the unequivocal sleeper in last year's draft. And Matt and I talked about him on the show last year and we were just like, this guy is like nowhere near ready. He, This is, if you take him in 2022, it is multiple years in the G League. You're losing real valuable, like rookie scale contract time. It's going to be a totally, it's going to be a disservice to the kid to go pro then essentially the talent is there, but there's just so much to still work out. I obviously he'll be in the draft this year. He's with the ignite. You would take him. It sounds like around 20. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be comfortable okay. with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not super decided yet. He's one that is very difficult. And I think he is like a real swing guy. I also think that like, you know, people are talking about the production in the G league with him. He's averaging like 16 points and eight rebounds. Um, he, he is someone that is so athletic and just like gifted that he can walk into that number in the G league, just with how up and down it's played and like the style of gameplay. So uh, the numbers are a little bit, I, I don't know that I would read too much in the numbers, I guess is my point with Leonard, but I'm certainly not out on Leonard Miller. I, I, am very, very intrigued by what he can be long term. It's better than what we talked about before the uh before the G League season. I know when we talked about him before the G League season, I think that was off air, but yeah, we were uh yeah. I was pretty yeah, I'm I don't know that I've ever been out. I guess that like I've just been very hesitant. Like I, I always think of it as if I had to be the person that makes the decision to draft this person, like would I be comfortable doing it, right? And last year, I would not have been comfortable drafting Leonard Miller, even though I, like at a certain point, I probably would have, like, you know, maybe around like 37, 39. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't think he should have stayed in the draft to be a second round pick. And I don't think that like he should have, like, I think it was, I think it was an unrealistic scenario basically for where I would have drafted him versus where he needed to be drafted in order to stay in the draft. Or if he got that where someone would have been likely to draft him. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I get what you're saying. This year. Look, I would venture that someone will probably be higher on him than me. Uh, in the draft like I, I would venture there's a gm out there that is higher on him you know portland stands out as a organization that loves these big six foot nine uh potential ball skills players like trendon watford greg brown jabari walker you, you can go down the list right they, they under joe cronin uh, they tend to t- like really like these guys since he's been involved in the front office so it's I would venture someone will be higher on him than me, which tends to mean that I wouldn't end up being the person that takes Leonard Miller, but I'm much more intrigued than what I was because I think there is just a lot more glue to his game now that could allow him to be like a real like player in the NBA. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. Mark, tell the people, well, for, do you have any, any movie talk? You have to get out of here in like five minutes, so we can't I go. Do. I don't have any. Actually, don't have any extra movies. I like loaded up on movies last week. Um, I mean, obviously, I watched the newest Last of Us episode. I've been watching Abbott Elementary, um, but I don't think I've watched a movie since we last talked. Actually, yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, I watched Knock at the Cabin last night. What do you think? The Gentleman's Six East of Gentleman's Sixes. Uh, I had a good time with it. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't blow me away. I would. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, no, I saw it. I saw it opening night actually. Um, I really liked it. I think to me, like the highlight was just Dave Dave Bautista was awesome. Like I can just be like, really impressed with who he's become as an actor. Um, and where he's headed, like taking real serious roles. Like, um, that's been very fun to watch as a development. Um, so yeah, but I'm I'm with you. Like I think it was a very fun movie. In terms of like a movie that I thought was like, like I I had hopes of it being like the horror, like potentially the horror movie of like the back, I mean, of the beginning of this year compared to like how good horror movies were last year. It's not that, um, but it, it was solid. Like I'd definitely watch it again. Yeah. Um, I thought it was probably like a 75 minute, movie structure that got elongated out to 25 minutes throughout the middle portion of it. It would have been better as a black mirror episode, I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I saw San Omer, uh, which is the, it was the France choice for best foreign language or best international film. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't make the cut, I believe to be a finalist uh, for best uh, international film at the Oscars. Really interesting movie, uh, thematically rich, but a little bit like plot, like story poor, I thought. Uh, it's disappointing because I thought it could have been like genuinely maybe the best movie of the year as I was watching it. And then it just kind of doesn't really come together from a story perspective in the way that I wanted it to. But I would really recommend it. I, I thought it was absolutely tremendous from like a thematic perspective. And the, the two women at the central in the central roles are just absolutely outstanding uh in the film uh and then the last one i watched was alice darling the anna kendrick movie that premiered at tiff last year and just came out um over the last little while how was that 
Good. Yeah. I had a good time with it. it. You know, I enjoyed it slightly more than I enjoyed knock at the cabin. It's not really like a thriller is what I would tell people. It's okay. more of like a character based drama um, with thrilling aspects. Uh, I think that's as far as I want to leave it, but it, okay. it's, it, it is, I think it's worth viewing for sure. And Anna Kendrick is like amazing in it. She's really, really good. Okay. I'll check it out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark, tell the people where they can find you. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Anything you want to share, just feel free. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, nothing too crazy right now. Just working on writing a couple things. Should have some more stuff going up at Cerebro. Um, working on a f- same feature I've been working on for forever still. Um, so it's been a long one. But yeah, no, nothing nothing too crazy. I'll have plenty going on. Yeah. On my end, I will have a top 100 draft rankings next week. Finally, (laughs) Uh, I feel like it's been a long time since I have done one. I will have what else? What else? What else? Uh, That's probably it for next week, unless like some sort of crazy news breaks, maybe some NCAA tournament, conference tournament preview stuff. Uh, What else am I looking for? What else am I looking for? I am looking for people to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. Hit that like button on this video if you're watching on YouTube. It really helps. Get it into the algorithm a little bit better. Shout out the YouTube algorithm. Uh, go subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, whatever podcasting platform that you enjoy using. Go uh, to theathletic.com slash game theory. Subscribe to The Athletic that way. It's the best way you can support the show currently. Uh, I think that that is just a really, really helpful thing. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.